What a session. And now, no more cogitation. It's time for relaxation. So off with your thinking caps, on with your shoes with taps. And like the fellow once said, grab yourself a co-ed. What I mean is, come on, children. Yes, dance. You gotta be quick. You gotta be quick with me. I'm from Erie, PA. I never thought, but being middle-aged and old takes up most of your time, doesn't it? You're only right. Pay it on. I've got a parade before it's too late. Hello, old sport. You are listening to I Saw in a Movie, an advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I am the old sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kicks, and this is my film pal, The Red Herring. Ryan Silberstein. And each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. So this week, we are joined by Movie John contributor and fellow classic coroner, Ashley Jane. Hey, pal. How's it going? Good. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome to the show. So Ashley Jane is one of our contributors from Canada and has been writing with us for quite some time. Recently, she started making appearances on the other podcast that I host, Cinematic Crypt. And every episode on that show, I go six feet under to uncover a flick from Hollywood's past. And Ashley has joined me as Dr. Carruthers on the segment Trip to the Morgue. And we dissect a character corpse from whatever flick that I am uncovering on that particular episode. So, Ashley, um, I was also going to tell our listeners how you've been helping with Pizza Man and designing music. Oh, yeah. So what other music have you made? Um, well, I've been I've been working on the score for pizza man which i'm hoping to wrap up this weekend and uh, i also like to make uh you know jingles and songs for podcasts including the theme for this one and for uh cinematic crypt as well so i like doing that sort of thing yeah we love the jingle you made for us Thank yeah, you. I was going to say, we, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that Ashley was responsible for the music that you, the listener, just heard as the intro to the show. Ta-da! <laughs> so before we get to our question, we wanted to share with listeners what we've been watching lately, and we've deemed this segment of the show Flick Picks. So Ryan, why don't you kick things off? What have you been watching? Uh, sure. I recently watched um, from the Criterion channel, actually, uh, a film called Red Sun. So it's a spaghetti western stars Charles Bronson, Ursula Andress, and Tashira Mufune. Um, and was directed by Terrence Young, who directed three of the first four James Bond movies. Um, and so, like, that's the draw. Like, if you're interested in seeing... <laughs> Uh, these people all on screen together, especially like most of it is a kind of a buddy movie between Charles Bronson and uh, Mufune. And there's a lot of, you know, cultural differences between these two characters. And, you know, if you're familiar with the, uh, what's it, Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson, uh, Shanghai Noon 
Oh my god. I uh, saw that movie a long time uh, ago. I think my mom took us to see it. And I, I hate to say this, but like my brother and I were so distracted by his nose. <laughs> like in the movie. And like I remember asking my mom about it. And she like she just didn't even know what to say to us. But yeah, I, I remember that movie. I believe it was terrible. Uh, I mean, I have not seen it since shortly after its theatrical release, but I enjoyed it because I enjoy sort of, you know, genre genre mashups or comedies, at least, that take place in other genres. Um, but I would say this is sort of similar. It's not the best movie, but it's just a very fun sort of like exploitation spin on it. Um, and it's really, it was just really interesting to see because I've, I think I've only seen Mufune in um, Kurosawa movies and in like more serious movies. And this is much more, you know, like I said, it's, it's spaghetti western, so it's a lot kind of looser. And you know, he is playing a samurai type character in the old west, and it's it's very very fun. It, like I said, I'm not going to say it's great, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I I haven't watched a ton of westerns. Like it's not really a genre I ever got into. Mm-hmm. I I I feel like I've seen some of the more famous ones. Obviously, quite a number of the Clint Eastwood. There was a time when Ben and I were watching a bunch of Clint movies in which we then came <laughs> up with the genre Clintities. Because they were like <laughs> comedies to us, uh, especially the ones in which he had a co-star of a monkey. Oh, yeah, right. Those were like some of my favorite. He made a lot of ridiculous movies. He did. Because he's a ridiculous man. <laughs> in so many ways. But also, just to go back to Shanghai Noon, like I just want you to picture it. Like, as a child, like, I was already a film snob. I mean... Like, I I probably walked out of that movie, like, and I batted my hand at the screen. I bet you. Yeah, Rosalie, I will say, and I mean, no offense to this whatsoever, your level of snobbishness is very strange because you will celebrate the Clint Eastwood with the monkey and turn your nose up to Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson. And I feel like those are basically the same thing, more or less. No, it, like, it's it's, it's just that one is new and one came out before you were born. Like, that's the only difference that I see in this thing. So, like, snob Rosalie, is maybe not the word I would use. <laughs> would you watch yes. a Western if Matilda was in it? The kangaroo. Maybe. What if, would, Owen, well, wait, what if Owen Wilson was in it as well? It depends. Okay. And also, you know, to go back to Matilda from the previous episode, <laughs> now that you've brought it up, I have shared pictures of the baby kangaroo from the film. And now people are interested. Oh. Now people are like, oh, maybe I'll watch that. What yeah. people? Which Ryan, people? <laughs> Ryan. You, when I texted you that picture of the baby Rue, you were like, oh, wow, maybe I'll watch it. No, I, I believe I said, this is, the, 
I believe what I said was this is the only thing that looks interesting about this movie so far. Well, uh, it's now going to be featured on Hate Watch, Great Watch. I've already set it up with Hunter. We're and which is yeah, and we're going to prove to you that this film is a wonderful watch. Yeah, Jamie has been basically begging me to watch it since yeah, she recorded that <laughs> podcast. She's just all she talks about, well, Matilda. I'll have you know that you didn't hear it here, but someone made an illegal VHS tape recording <laughs> of it with Blended. commercials edited out. So classy. So, yeah. Okay. Well, Ashley, what did you pick? Okay. Um, so today, actually, I watched it this morning. I watched the 1925 Oscar Micheaux film body and soul um i watched this on the criterion channel as well it's in the pioneers of african american cinema collection so this movie is about a man who escapes from prison and then he poses as a reverend in a town in georgia and he teams up with another escapee and they kind of hatch a plan to swindle the local congregation so I found it interesting in this, in that the main actor, uh, Paul Robeson, so he not only plays this manipulative reverend character, but also his mild-mannered twin brother, which I thought was interesting. And the story is very much uh, in my wheelhouse of things that I'm interested in and that it deals with um, blind faith and kind of the corruption that often follows the power of the cloth, but it also deals with rape and victim shaming and how folks will often put a lot of trust um, in people in power, but they're quick to doubt regular people. So it's really actually fascinating and really timely for things that are happening now and it's important, certainly in terms of black film history, but also film history in general, because it's really brave and direct. And I'm lucky that I was able to watch it and take it in. Yeah, I actually noticed that collection on the Criterion channel. And I made a note to myself because you had watched one of his other films. Yeah, recently. I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw that on Letterboxd. And I definitely want to feature that guy on my other show, um, Oscar Mouchot, and I'm so glad you said the name because I was struggling with how do I say this? Uh. <laughs> I'm an American. <laughs> but I had read that he was like the first black director. Yeah, it's credited as that, yeah. And I think that's really cool because when I started looking up some folks to feature on the crypt, I really like to uncover people that somebody may not know about. So he was like somebody that stood out once you posted the review on Letterboxd. So thank you. Yeah. And I think also to add, I think that you will like this movie because it reminded me a lot of Night of the Hunter. Oh, yeah. So kind of like, you know, the he puts on the front of being this righteous, you know, priest figure in the community, but there's a lot more to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, have you seen Night of the Hunter? 
I have not. That is definitely uh, an episode, a future episode of my other podcast, The Shame Files. Um, yes. So it's it's high on our list to get to for sure. Yeah, you gotta watch the Mitchums. Oh yeah, all, all of the them. Mitchums. All, all of, them. of them. Yes. All right. So that was a good pick. So mine is actually something newer that isn't even out yet. It's coming out though. It might even be out by the time this episode drops, but it is an upcoming horror film that will come out on July 10th called Relic, and it will be um, virtually released. So you'll be able to watch it, I guess, through that virtual cinema um, Mm -hmm. on demand and then digital rental. But it was written and directed by Natalie Erica James. And this is actually a feature debut for her. She had directed a few shorts prior. I had actually seen the film originally at Sundance. And then I was fortunate enough to get a screener because I am going to review it. And I just think the film is very impressive, especially for a debut. But it opens with a mother and daughter traveling to their, um, well, the grandmother's house after she went missing. And the grandmother lives in like a somewhat isolated and forest setting. uh, And she disappeared and no one knows where she went and kind of she just fell off the map. And the mother is played by Emily Mortimer and the daughter slash granddaughter is portrayed by Bella Heathcote who I didn't realize she had a very small part in Neon Demon, but I hadn't seen her before. But all the performances are absolutely, I think, fantastic. And the director manages to do a lot with literally, it's just like basically one location, the grandmother's house and then like the exterior of that. And then this small cast But it essentially tells the story about just the horror of aging and Mm. that it eventually all catches up with us, even though it's something that we all try to ignore, we eventually have to face it. And yeah, I was just really impressed with this movie. So I I wanted to share it because I hope people will seek it out. Very cool. Yeah, I I definitely always enjoy checking out uh, a promising debut film, especially. Yeah, and I think it's cool because there's been, most recently too, a lot of women that are starting to enter the horror genre. And especially to see a movie that is, it's not only, to me it was scary, but it's also very intelligent. And that's something that I really like about that genre is when you kind of have something that can be very frightening, but then it's also really smart. Yeah, that sounds yeah, cool. Yeah, I definitely enjoy when horror movies are about something. Right. It's not just like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy a slasher flick too, but it's but, the But even slasher flicks can have, you know, interesting themes or an interesting take on an issue or a certain kind of trauma or situation. Sure. Um, you know, I, I always find those a little bit more rewarding. You know what I mean? Like as as much as like like I dumb ones are fine, but I feel like they're not gonna they don't speak to me as well as as much. Definitely. All right. So should we get to the question? Absolutely. Okay. 
Dear I Saw in a Movie, I am looking to start my first band. What should I look for in my bandmates? Can you give me some advice of admirable traits that you have found in movies? Thanks. Let's rock. P.S. What's your favorite movie band? So, Red Herring, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Um, I'm going to uh, first just acknowledge that my favorite movie band, at least, and I'm interpreting this as like a fictional band, uh, is... Josie and the Pussycats from the film Josie and the Pussycats, um, which I almost picked for this question, but I really wanted to revisit um, That Thing You Do, which is a 1996 movie directed by Tom Hanks. I think it's his only um, directed feature um, so far, at least, Um, which is about the band The Wonders. Um, who are a one-hit wonder, but you don't know that you're, you know, if you haven't seen the movie before, you don't know that you're watching the story of a, of a one-hit wonder band because the band doesn't know that they're only going to be a one-hit wonder. So it's more of a uh, cautionary tale in terms of what not to look for in bandmates <laughs> for <laughs> our, our question asker. But what I like about it is that, like, there's so many music movies, and I, it's a genre I, I deeply love, especially like rock movies, there's a lot of darkness to, to the, the rock and roll lifestyle in terms of ego and, you know, drugs and substance abuse and sex and all that kind of stuff, which is fine. Like that, that certainly has its place. But what I like about this movie is that it's extremely lighthearted, but it still touches on all of the problems from those other movies in terms of how, they, how success affects a band. Um. So the, um, so it's a, a four piece band from Erie, Pennsylvania. And at the last minute they pull in Tom Everett Scott because their regular drummer played by Giovanni Ribisi has broken his arm and they're entering a talent show. And the lead singer for, um, the band, which does not have a name yet at that point, or no, they, they're just deciding on a name. Um, he writes very like, he writes a lot of love ballads and so the drummer who is sort of the town beatnik um speeds it up and gives the uh the song more of a you know just a faster pace it makes it more danceable they win the talent show and success starts to build um so you have the the drummer uh again played by tom everett scott who basically like he's the protagonist of the film and he is sort of just kind of along for the ride and over the course of the movie, the movie seems to say that that's the real way to sort of approach it is to say, is to kind of go with the flow and see how far you can take this, especially early on in your career as a band. Because his other bandmates, um, the lead singer is very serious and he's like impatient as to when they're going to like record other songs in the studio and like, you know, wants to write more songs. But again, he doesn't he doesn't write the kind of songs that are going to be popular and get a lot of radio play. And you have the guitarist um, played by Steve Zahn, who is like the goofball. And he's like, Hey, this success is great because we get to travel around the country. I get to meet girls. Like, like all that is to him. Like that's the benefit of the band. Like, you know, he's putting that ahead of, you know, like the music in that sense. And then you have the bass player of the band who does not have a name. Uh, his character doesn't have a name. <laughs> he's, um, 
he's credited in, in the end credits as TB player, like as his character's name. And huh. um, he's already enlisted to join the Marine Corps at the end of the summer. So like he's treating this as like, oh, this is my like rumspringa, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, I wanted to ask because Ashley's been in bands before. Mm-hmm. Like, does that happen? Like, do people just not pay attention to the bass player? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I can tell you, um, I was in a band for one particular band for more than 10 years. And the biggest kind of member changes revolved around the bass player. I'll wow. tell you that. Bass is really important. I, I agree. I played bass for a few years in this band, so I agree. (laughs) Like, I feel people don't give it enough recognition because, well, and I'm talking about too, when even as a teen, I just was always attracted to guitar players. Like, I just thought they were the coolest. Lots of people do. Right. But they, some of them don't really do much. Guitar players or bass players? Guitar players, like if there's more than one in the band, like some mm-hmm. of them don't really do anything. Yeah, I, feel- I, I would say I've noticed in the music that I enjoy listening to, there's always an amazing bass player. Like the rhythm section is actually like secretly really important. Um, yes, I'm all about the rhythm section. I agree. <laughs> I'm a guitar um, player, but I will agree with that. Uh, you know, but but my favorite bands are like Rush, which has like one of the all time great drummers, as well as the lead singer is also the bassist. So Canadian uh, shout out Rush. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So so I think that's the big takeaway from that thing you do. Uh, the two big takeaways are to <clears throat> like follow the path that's ahead of you. You know what I mean? And like they sign to a record label and they start, you know, uh, touring like state fairs. And as they're as the title song, that thing you do climbs up the charts, you know, they get more and more opportunities and they end up being on TV and they're in a a movie uh, where their band is playing a fictional band within the fake within. I mean, it's not a fake movie in the movie, but you know what I mean? It's not (laughs) a real movie that we could watch. Um, But they show up in a movie as Captain Geach and the. was it Captain Geach and the Shrimp uh, Shack shooters. shooters? Yeah, <laughs> um, you know. But I think that's the the big takeaway from this is to kind of follow where your success is leading you, and also um, to make sure that you and the rest of your bandmates are on the same page as to what you want out of this. You know, is this a going to be a career for you, or is this going to be? you know, a thing that you do because you're young and you have the ability to, you know, sort of pick up and travel for a summer, you know, without having any other responsibility. And, you know, they do the thing at the end of the movie where they tell you where all the main characters ended up, um, you know, and two of them do have a career in music. The drummer becomes the, like, he founds a, like, conservatory, um, you know, and becomes like a teacher of music, you know, as his primary career. And, you know, the lead singer like does eventually find other success, but you know, I, it's again, I really like the stories of one hit wonder songs and one hit wonder bands. And, um, you know, this, this happens to be a, a really fun one. Have either of you guys seen this movie? Yeah, it's, it's been a while since I have, but 
Um, I remember really liking it. And I remember my favorite, favorite scene being where they first hear that thing you do on the radio. And it's mm. so exciting. You know, they're in, I, is, that's the guy's, is it his dad's furniture store? It's been a while. I don't remember. Yeah, it's, it's his dad's appliance store. Appliance and like, store. Live, yeah, Liv Tyler hears it first. They're all listening to, like, she's listening to a radio with, like, headphones attached. Yeah. And she's, like, in the middle of mailing letters. Uh, and then she hears it and she starts running and then she picks up the bass player because she runs into him on the sidewalk and he's also has a radio and then they run to the store and they're like turning on all the radios in the appliance store. And then the two other guys in the band pull up in a car, like just stop in the middle of the street yeah. <laughs> in front of the store and they run in and like the dad has no idea what's going on <laughs> at first. And then they're like dancing in the store and turning on all the radios and the guitar players dancing with like a cardboard cutout that's like selling RCA televisions or whatever. <laughs> um, and it's it's one of the most joyful scenes in any movie, I think. Absolutely. I, I love that scene so much. It's it's very exciting. It's also really weird to hear yourself on the radio. And it's I just think that scene, like you said, it, it's just like so joyful. I love it. Yeah, I and I also think what you were saying, Ryan, is a good point about I, I've never been in a band, but I think if you are going to start one, it would have to be like set out from the beginning. Like, what do you want out of this? Right. Mm -hmm. Because that way everybody's on the same page. I will say, I mean, this is obviously different than, you know, being in a band and making music but with making movies what's kind of interesting is when when you make them you will find people that you work well with and then like you'll continue to work with them but the ones that you don't work well with you can like change them out <laughs> right whereas there's like a the natural, band yeah yeah there's like a natural stopping point where you're like okay like this is an this is the end of this project and this is a new project where Correct. the band is the project and it kind of goes on Right. Forever. But the uh so at one point, um the the drummer he meets one of his heroes who's a jazz player. And you know, they have like a conversation where he's like, Look, if you love music, playing the music that you love is more actually more important than who you're playing with like over the course of your whole life. Like you can play with a bunch of different people. And that can be just as fulfilling as a career as creating a band where like the, you know, the you have to keep the band going. He's like, I've played with people that, you know, I could only last two months in the same room with them. Well, we made great music, you know, for those two months and then we moved on to other things. So there, there is, even though I thought, I think, especially in the world of pop and rock music, that doesn't really happen. I think when you get into jazz, you do have people who kind of, you know, go from project to project or they have a couple like a trio that they work with all the time and then they bring other people in and out. So I think that that does exist out there in the music world. Mm -hmm. uh, so Ashley, what, 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 uh, what movie did you turn to for advice for our listener? Well, um, I approached this uh, question kind of with a different view in, I tried to think, how can you be a good band member yourself? Because you can't always really control how the other people are going to act, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of cheated a little bit. And that I have 
two pieces of advice and I have two movies to back them up. So my first piece of advice actually goes along um, very much with what you were just talking about and then what Rosalie was talking about as well, about knowing your goals. Because I find um, a lot of time people don't talk about it right at the beginning. So what's the objective? Um, Is it just to have fun playing in your friend's garage? Or do you want to play live at some local bars? Or do you want to make it full time and tour? And all of these options, any other options, are all totally valid. But it's important to kind of make sure you're all on the same page and revisit that often as you keep playing together. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can find out a good example of why this is important from the 2001 gem of a flick. Rockstar. So in this movie, Rockstar, Mark Wahlberg, who is arguably a totally gross human, but in this movie, he plays Chris, who's the lead singer in a Steel Dragon cover band. And Steel Dragon is this really popular metal band in the movie. And this guy, he absolutely oozes passion. He's absolutely obsessed down to the the smallest details of everyone's performances. It could be just minor tweaks in guitar solos and even their costumes that, you know, that things had the right color stitching. He's just totally committed to it because he wants them to be the most perfect tribute band. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. Not at all. However, we can see that quickly that him and his bandmates are not always on the same page because we can kind of watch his bandmates become increasingly annoyed with his extreme dedication. They're kind of getting sick of how picky he is about everything and they kind of want to do their own thing now. They were having fun doing the tribute band thing, but they want to do their own music And so soon Chris is kicked out of the band. But the thing that I like about this story is he has this very satisfying, it's a character arc and it's also a career arc in that he actually gets a gig fronting the real Steel Dragon band, which is pretty cool. But then as they do in the movies, he ultimately moves on even from that and finds his own voice. So the thing I take away from this movie, other than the totally awesome soundtrack, is it's fine if you want something different from your bandmates. But if you find out that you do, don't be afraid to chase that. But keep having these discussions within the band. Um, So have either of you guys seen this wild ride? I have but a very long time ago. And I think I (laughs) only watched it once. Yeah, me too. I think I saw it like not, I don't think I saw it in the theater. I think I saw it like, you know, like I rented it from Blockbuster. (laughs) I've seen it probably like 400 times. Um, (laughs) I most recently watched it. uh, Jamie and I were in Toronto staying with her friends and, um, 
me and her and Jeremy, Jeremy's in also has a movie podcast, Get Spoiled. We were talking about this movie and our other friend Mel had never seen it. So we were so pumped. We sat her down like, oh, Mel, you're going to love this. She loves music. We're like, how have you never seen this before? And me and Jamie and Jeremy were just losing it like singing along with all the songs totally pumped and she's kind of sitting there politely like yeah that was a movie it was a fun time though well in you speaking about it it was reminding me i watched a documentary which i think was just called tributes but it was about different bands across the u.s that have tribute bands oh okay yeah, and th- again, this was also many years ago. We uh, watched it with my brother-in-law. We were on like a family vacation, uh-huh. and he had brought the movies like, oh, I wanted to check this out. But I was fascinated by like, to your point, I mean, I guess that, you know, in Rockstar, it shows this, but the dedication that people will go to. Oh, yeah, definitely to mimic the bands that they love. Mm-hmm. Like I was just, yeah. I was shocked. And I think it's interesting because there's a couple, there's like different degrees of it because what I don't always enjoy, not that I've seen any of them live, but there's like the the tribute acts that are closer to like Elvis impersonators where they're like in costume, like really trying to like replicate the experience of like seeing that band live, especially mm-hmm. um, where they, you know, like if there's like a Beatles tribute band, like they'll have, you know, wigs or like the haircuts for like the Beatles from a specific era even. Yeah. Um, and that's a little, to me, that's a little much, but in college I saw an all female Led Zeppelin cover band called Led Zeppelin. Nice. Um, and they were like, they were about replicating the music, but they had their own, you know, like their style was definitely, you know, seventies rock influence, but they kind of made it their own in that way. Like mm-hmm. it was like their own little twist on, on it. And like, that was really fun for me because it, it wasn't people trying to like, and again, they're not doing it in a malicious way, but it, they're like trying to trick your brain and to feel like you're watching the real thing. Whereas yeah. this was like, well, we're clearly not the real thing. So we're going to embrace that, but we're still going to like, have a great time and be awesome at what we do right yeah definitely and I mean like I said I think all of it is valid whatever you want to do but kind of decide what it is like my I I agree with the costumes I don't care like if a Beatles tribute band comes to town I'm always gonna go see it because it's always fun but I don't really care if oh that looks like a 1965 wig when they're playing a 1966 song but i will say i'm a huge snob with instruments so you better believe that i'm checking out to make sure they do the right amp changes they're playing the right guitars so i mean i i don't care about the costumes but the instruments (laughs) i'm a bit of a snob about i i care about the wigs Like this checks out actually. Yeah. Better look authentic. And the clothes. I mean, if you're saying, Oh, I'm Elvis Presley, then you better have jewels. <laughs> you better have sideburns. Like yeah, no. I mean the I understand the instrument obviously very important. 
but the wig. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, oh. I was just going to say, speaking of the Beatles, I wanted to, uh, I had just another piece of advice, if you don't mind. Um, my second piece of advice is to find what you do specifically in the group. So I don't just mean what instrument you play, but kind of what energy you bring to the group and how you can use it to kind of lift the band up, not yourself. And the reason I say speaking of the Beatles was because for this, you could look no further than the 1964 classic, A Hard Day's Night, which captures a day in the life of the Beatles in peak Beatlemania. So the Beatles, arguably one of the most successful bands in history, and they certainly had their share of ego issues. However, Ringo Starr. I personally, I love Ringo because he didn't try to claw his way to be the leader. He was a solid backbeat of the band. So, I mean, not only did he have a wonderful, unique drumming style, which don't get me started about it, but he also brought a wonderful, almost almost a childlike positivity to the band. So in this movie in particular, um, when Ringo goes missing and he ends up being arrested before the Beatles have their big performance, the others rightly freak out to be missing him. Like, where is he? We need him. We can't just get some guy off the street. We need Ringo because he's essential. Like each member in a band is essential. So the thing I like about him is he worked toward the band as a whole being great and not just himself. So my second piece of advice is be a Ringo. Find what your contribution is and go towards that with the goal of making the band great. I, I think that's awesome. I mean, one, I will fight anybody who disses Ringo Starr because <laughs> he is a wonderful human being as he well as is. a great drummer. Um, so I, I, I think that's a great piece of advice. And, and I think you're right. I think all of the Beatles movies showcase Ringo uh-huh. in a way that like his personality shines through in yeah. a way that they even beyond, you know, because he gets like a vocal track on like every album. But I think I think he really does shine in the movies. And I think if you're, you know, more if you're even more of a, a movie fan than a Beatle fan, then I think it would be easy to say that Ringo is your favorite just based on the movies alone. I would agree. He's very charming and charismatic, but he just seems like an, an honest to goodness good guy. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, you know, in in real life Beatle drama. You know, when he uh, walked out of a session, the session ended like that was Mm -hmm. a big deal. You know, if he got fed up with the other three (laughs) to the point where he was like, I'm done with this right now, they would be like, "Okay, like we're like we're clearly way out of line and we need to fix this. (laughs) Send them flowers. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But I I love A Hard Day's Night. That's a movie I've seen at least a dozen times. Lots of fun. Have you seen it, Rosalie? I have, but again, a very long time ago. And this 
may shock both of you, but I actually saw it for the first time in school. One of my teachers showed us the film in a documentary class. That's when I first saw it. And then I saw it again, not recently, but a while ago. I enjoy it. Nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so Rosalie, what movie did you turn to uh, for advice for our listener? All right. So I'll be honest. Like, I realize that the music from a band, you know, is some like that's obviously the whole point of starting a band is you're making tunes. But of course, like my first thought is you need style. Like that's just where my mind goes. So when I was trying to think of a film that really just showcases amazing style, I had to pick the 1940 film you'll find out. (laughs) Classic. Classic Rosalie. So here's Mm -hmm. the thing, though. All right. I'm going to talk about three people in particular within the film that have great style. They are not in a band. But in my mind, they are. Like, in my mind, this is a band, Mm -hmm. which would consist of Bella Lugosi, Boris Karloff, and Peter Lorre. Ooh, nice. Now, I just want you to think about that. Would you listen to that band? I mean, I would absolutely listen to that band, especially if they were named the Crypt Kicker Five after the line in Monster Mash. <laughs> I hadn't gotten that far with a name, but that is not a bad name. I would undoubtedly listen to it. Like, no question. I'd listen to them. I'd follow them on Spotify. So, and I would, I would watch, yeah. I would also watch their crossover special with Scooby Doo to see the animated <laughs> versions of them because that feels like a thing that would happen. Totally, totally would happen. But there is another very important lesson within this film of why I picked it. So, this movie centers around this like old bandstand guy Kay Kaiser he's no like (laughs) he's an example of just someone you would not want in a band like and I know Ashley Jane has seen this movie so she can attest he is someone you would actively want to avoid yes don't don't have Kay Kaiser in your band just don't do it like he has a very excruciating voice he's obnoxious and annoying and in every part of this film he is like he needs to be the center of attention so just google k kaiser and that is (laughs) that is all you need to know when you're looking for bandmates you don't want that type of person so anyway Kay Kaiser is hired by this really rich young girl. It's actually like her 21st birthday party. He's hired to play with his band at this like really weird spooky mansion that her aunt owns. So this girl is going to have all of her friends come to this like haunted house And Kay Kaiser and his band are going to play, and that's how she's celebrating her birthday. 
And where Bella, Boris, and Peter come in is basically Bella is there as, like, I don't even really know, like the ant's ward of some sort. He's basically, he he's wearing like this weird sparkly outfit and he claims that he's able to speak with the dead through seances. So the aunt has him there, like, hoping that he'll be able to contact her dead husband. But what I feel he would play a major role in the band is the style. Because (laughs) his outfits are insane. So I feel like if you're going to be on stage, like, you want people to notice. And he has, like, really great style for that. I, I mean, I could not agree more in terms of style. And even going back to that thing you do, you know, they always have matching suits. The yes. drummer always has his sunglasses. The whole reason that Liv Tyler is able to go on tour with them is because she becomes their costume manager. So, oh, right. you know, the yeah. um, the Playtone galaxy of stars would completely back up the fact that style is absolutely important. Uh-huh. Yeah, and... Also, like, he can perform seances, which would be, like, pretty cool to, like, include in your show. I mean, I don't know. I I would be pretty excited if I went and not only heard a band, but, like, participated in a seance. I mean, they they should definitely get on the lineup for OzFest just for that. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So then there's Boris. Boris plays their like trusted lawyer friend and he he's also in cahoots though with bella like basically they're trying trying to swindle the aunt out of her money but like the aunt doesn't realize that at all that they're like in this together but his voice which i know right before the podcast ryan was telling me ashley that he just watched the body snatcher and was oh, commenting, nice. yeah, and commenting on Boris's voice. So I know Ashley Jane is also a fan of his voice, mm-hmm. but I would love, like, if he was a singer in a band. It'd be really good. Yeah, I I really like the idea of him as like a spooky lounge singer, also, yes. um, <laughs> like wearing a lot of velvet, being yes. in like. You know, a room with like three fireplaces. Oh in yeah, a spooky old house that's now like a bed, a, now a spooky bed and breakfast. I'm there. I'm there. I'm yes. all in on it. And he and like, what if he wore sunglasses? Why not? <laughs> Would he wear a wig though? What's no. the wig situation? No, okay. He doesn't need a wig. Okay, his just hair, checking. His hair is perfectly fine, but in this, he wears a tux with tails. Mm-hmm. And I love tucks with tails. I just, I, I like when they're like flowing as you walk. But anyway. He sounds ready to be putting on the Ritz. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so then there's Peter Laurie and he plays a professor and he smokes cigarettes really cool, mm-hmm. which also made me think that when you're in a band, like there's always somebody that smokes. <laughs> Like, is that untrue? Like, I feel like there's always a smoker. 
Not always, but, you know, in these days. But there should be. There should be a Peter Laurie in every band, really. <laughs> well, and especially a professor, because they can get you out of a lot of jams. Like, they're probably really crafty and smart. So I was, like, thinking, like, if you get into some kind of bind, he would be able to scheme you out of it. Uh-huh. Like, especially when you're on tour. So this movie, though, and Ashley, you know, feel free to jump in here, but it is wild. Oh, it absolutely is. Like, you think you know what's going to happen, and it just keeps twisting and turning till, oh my god, the end of this movie, I've never seen anything (laughs) like it in my life. It's unreal. It is unreal. Oh, and here's a very interesting fact, which Ashley, Jane, I hope you are sitting down. (laughs) I'm ready. This was nominated for an Oscar. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was for best song. <laughs> well, that's that's delightful. For what song? I, Do you know? I didn't. I didn't write that down. Oh, geez. There are so the many cake. gems. There were a lot of gems. In I it. wonder if it was the one with that they record with, like the voice box. Remember? <laughs> yes. Yeah, Ryan. There's like this whole underground, <laughs> like cave basement thing it's because again it's a spooky mansion it's all set in this spooky mansion there's like secret tunnels passageways and k kaiser that's wonderful sounds like the perfect band (laughs) i don't i i was like thinking though like what type of you know, music would they play? And you guys really like helped me out with that. Like, I feel that they would be like a lounge act. Lots of like reverb on the guitars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. definitely. Yes. So, anything else we wanted to talk about? Well, I what think- was your favorite movie band? I think Ryan told us his, but. Mm-hmm. We forgot to say ours. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, in thinking about my favorite movie band, honestly, it's more or less because I just loved watching the absolute train wreck of it, but also because I love the style of music they were playing, but I love her smell. Yeah. Like, I, I love mm-hmm. that band. Because growing, growing up, you know, as a teen, like I would have totally listened to that band. Because what I are they called? Something she? Is it oh, something, something she? she. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something she. That's yeah. the actual name. But yes, but the pop punk and especially like an all girl band, I would have been totally into it. Definitely. Yeah, I'm always down for some Riot Girl. Why not? But how about you, Ashley? Did you say your favorite band well, from a movie? I have, in true Ashley Jane fashion, I have two. <laughs> so one is The Commitments, because mm. I too am a white person who only wants to play R&B and soul music. That's all I want. When I move to Toronto, I want to you know, join another band. That's what I'm looking for. But also, I mean, you got to bring up 
Marvin Barry and the Starlighters. <laughs> I mean, I hear they're looking for a new sound. <laughs> they are. <laughs> I do love that band too. Romance, Earth Angel, pure <laughs> romance. All right, so should I sign us out or anything else you guys want to add? Um, I definitely want to add some more fictional bands, if that's okay. Oh, sure, sure. Because I, uh, bands and movies is one of my favorite things. I mean, we ha- we can't not mention the Wild Stallions uh, from the Bill and, uh, Bill and Ted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking forward to them facing the music uh, later this year when that comes out. Uh, and then, of course, a fake band that became a real band, Spinal Tap, which yes. I thought about choosing for this. Um, you know, and then, of course, um, Ferg and Dan and the Modal Nodes, who play in the cantina in the first Star Wars movie. Oh, <laughs> I never knew what their name was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they definitely have their own sense of style for sure. Um, you know, and then the last one I want to mention uh, is the Soggy Bottom Boys, which I guess is more of a vocal group than a band um, from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? They count, mm. totally. That counts. Definitely. And uh, for Spinal Tap, it's a little anecdote. In my last band I was in, I played bass at the end of it. And let me tell you, in between songs when I would spontaneously launch into big bottom always a hit always a hit (laughs) never any eye rolls at all it's fun it's a fun time that's a great soundtrack lots of fun uh but yeah i think i think uh we can take us out and we'll you know then we can share uh you know a piece of advice from the movies that we chose sure okay So before we sign off, don't forget you can find a breakdown of the episodes on moviejohn.com, where you can also subscribe to our quarterly print movie zine. And for our next issue, we will be featuring films that um, are located at the circus, carnival, or state fair. So if you are looking to travel via the cinema, you may want to pick up that next issue. Now, you can also follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at I Saw in a Movie. And if you're seeking movie advice, send your questions to Dear I Saw in a Movie at gmail.com. And we also accept postal mail at P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA 19145, Attention Movie John. So, Ryan, uh, where can people find you at? Sure. Uh, you can find my writing in the pages of Movie John, uh, as well as on the website that I run, cinema76.com. And you can also find my other movie podcast, The Shame Files, uh, which is all about watching movies uh, that are new to us. Uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can find that podcast. Great. Uh, and actually, uh, where can people find more of you? Well, they can find my writing on Movie John in print and on the website. And then they can find me on Twitter at Ashley Jane MD. And then I'm also on Letterboxd and Instagram uh, as Charles Van Doren. 
Great. And you can find me on Instagram at the dot old sport or Twitter at bonjour old sport. And then you can also check out my other podcast, Cinematic Crypt, which Ashley is now on, as I mentioned earlier, in which I go six feet under to uncover films of Hollywood's past. And you can find it wherever you catch pods or download at moviejohn.com. So before we leave, uh, we like to leave with a piece of advice. And Ryan, you said you had a piece of advice from your film. I do. Um, and this is a, a, a slightly long quote from uh, Faye, a Liv Tyler's character in the movie. Um, I've wasted thousands and thousands of kisses on you. Kisses that I thought were special because of your lips and your smile and all your color and life. I used to think that was the real you when you smiled. But now I know you don't mean any of it. You just save it for all your songs. Shame on me for kissing you with my eyes closed so tight. So basically go into all your situations with your eyes open for sure. Um, and, you know, as important as the music is, the people around you are at least at least as important, if not more so. Mm, very good. Very true. Heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, how about you? Do you have a piece of advice? I do. So my quote kind of drives home my two pieces of advice in one from my secret third movie pick from 1979, <laughs> The Muppet Movie. It's an ultimate example of the adventure being in a band, the eternal Fozzie Bear and Kermit the Frog, or Kermie as I call him. They sing, we're in this together, and we know where we're going. Aww. That's great. That's nice. All right. Well, mine mine comes from Prince Saliano, which was played by Bella Lugosi, and you'll find out. And he said, if you have a real voice, it is a waste to use it on such trash, which is a reminder, do not allow a Kay Kaiser into your band. <laughs> so, Kyle. Ryan... I I really hope that you look up Kay Kaiser. I I will. And just listen to like a half a minute and you'll see what trash it is. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Oh, Jamie's just saying in the background she wants to have a double feature of Matilda and you'll find out. Oh, that would be I will join you for half of that double feature. That would be a most excellent double feature. Mine she's, not, she's not really saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, until next time, remember, for every question, there's a movie with the answer. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye.